Welcome to the NikkiOkwayPodcast.com. And thank you very much for subscribing and downloading our most unique and most powerful material till date, The Entrepreneur Advisor by Nikki Okoye. Entrepreneur Advisor is one of our series of exceptional, content-filled, empowering, and exhilarating podcasts designed and produced for the 21st century entrepreneur and business executive wherever they may be on the globe. Dr. Nikki Okwe, our anchor, is a serial entrepreneur, experienced business executive, and a 30-year veteran of building businesses and funding projects. He has also advised heads of states, presidents, and heads of global conglomerates on three different continents of the world, including North America, Europe, and Africa. His efforts at leading a venture from startup conception stage to billion-dollar status in less than 18 months is legendary. The Entrepreneur Advisor podcast series provides our listeners with extensive insight into the latest 21st century strategies for business development, investment capital aggregation, and global market penetration. In addition, Nikki Okoye tackles the most pertinent issues while providing tactical insight as well as strategic solutions for building sustainable enterprises over the long term. Let's sit back and listen to Dr. Okoye. If you wish to engage Dr. Nikki directly, you can follow him at Nikki Okoye on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Again, that's N-I-C-K-Y-O-K-O-Y-E on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Hi, this is episode eight of Entrepreneur Advisor, and this is Nikki Okoye. I am bringing to you the strategies, the business models, and the 21st century pathways that I believe as some of you entrepreneurs, some of you considering entrepreneurship, and some of you may be business executives already operating in challenging environments or in difficult atmospheres where you're trying to take a business or a concept and tweak it, reposition it for the 21st century, uh, this is a century of disruptions. This is a century of disruptive business models. This is a century where technology is completely changing the game and you are trying to navigate through that entire process. The Entrepreneur Advisor is your guide through this process. What I have been doing in all the episodes is to give you strategic ideas, frameworks, models, where you can take these ideas and run with it. Some of these ideas, some of these strategies will work for you in your particular environment and some of them might not work in your environment, but if you take them to specific environments, they would work perfectly well. What I was talking about in episode seven was the game-changing market penetration strategies, which I have conceptualized and provided some unique detail for some of you who will take advantage of it. I, I did mention there was an Africa strategy and I built my Africa strategy market penetration on the back of the Africa continental free trade area. I also talked about the Caribbean strategy and a Caribbean strategy is anchored more on an investment strategy because the investment environment in the Caribbean will only continue to get better. And I, I gave you an example of the hospitality industry and the value chain intelligence within the hospitality industry, where you can either invest directly into the commanding heights of the hospitality industry, or you can participate 
by investing in the global supply chain, supplying furniture, manpower, cleaning services, uniforms, aviation, tours, travel agencies, all the services that support the Caribbean hospitality industry. As long as the world population continues to grow, the Caribbean hospitality industry will continue to grow. It's a very unique place. And the Caribbean has quite a number of other industries, but I use the hospitality industry as an anchor for the market penetration strategy, which I am advocating as part of our Caribbean strategy. But what I want to talk about today is the African diaspora strategy. I did mention that a bit in episode seven, but in episode eight, I want to go into a little bit more detail. Why do I look at the African diaspora community as the basis for a strategy in market penetration? And the reason for this is very simple. It's a marketplace and that market has continued to grow. Africa has about 54 countries and the Caribbean have about 16, 17 islands, depending on the figures. And, and these countries and islands, they have citizens operating, living, working in the United States. And because they live and work in the United States, they have been able to transform themselves into a marketplace. And the best way to define this marketplace is to look at each of these communities and figure out what is their purchasing power? What is their investment grade purchasing power? And the best way to, to look at it is, let's look at Nigeria. Nigeria is the largest, in terms of population, the largest African country in terms of population, the largest black country in terms of population. So whether we're looking at the Caribbean or Africa, Nigeria will always stand out. And so let's look at Nigeria. In terms of the Nigerian diaspora population, they are considered the best educated population as far as the immigrant communities in the United States. Out of the 15 immigrant communities that are tracked by the Rockefeller Foundation Aspen Institute diaspora program, these folks, they do a study of all the immigrant communities in the United States and they have come to the conclusion that the Nigerian diaspora population living and working in the United States are the number one immigrant community in terms of education. They're the best educated immigrants. And that study includes the Chinese. That study includes the Indians. That study includes the Mexicans. That study includes Israel. They say, that Nigeria has the most educated immigrant community in the United States. And that's that's very, very powerful because that simply, you know, on the surface tells you what is about to happen 10 or 20 years from now. But let's look further at what they say. They say that 37% of the Nigerian immigrant community over the age of 25 have bachelor's degrees. And they compare that with about 20% for the US population. And that figure has continued to hover around these figures. So Nigerian are more likely to be well-educated and it means that they are almost double the size of the US educated over 25 years old. 
uh, they also have higher meridian incomes. So if you look at the, the income level of the United States, a typical uh, household income, um, they say that the Nigerian household income is above the median US income, uh, household income I'm referring to. They also go further to tell us that they're concentrated in three strategic markets. So the first and the largest community, uh, Nigerian diaspora community would be New York. And that is followed by Houston. And that is followed by the Washington DC, Maryland area. Of course, we also have Atlanta and LA, but these three, New York, Houston, and uh, DC are, are the, key, the key concentrated areas. So if you are building a market penetration strategy and you were trying to look at the Nigerian immigrant community or the diaspora community, these would be the markets that you would consider. They have over a hundred cultural organizations. So these are organizations that they're beginning to organize themselves. So it's not too difficult to approach them, if you will. And then they talk about their employment. They say the Nigerian diaspora age 16 and older are more likely than the general U.S. population to be in the labor force. Over 73 to 75% versus a 64% for the U.S. population. And then the employment rate among those in the labor force was nearly the same for Nigerians as it is for the U.S. population. So over 88% for Nigerians as opposed to 91%. And the members of the Nigerian diaspora are employed in professional or managerial occupations at a higher level than the general U.S. labor force. So 46% of Nigerians that are working are likely to be in management positions or professional positions versus 31% for the U.S. population. And this is higher than the Indian diaspora populations, if you will. So if you're looking at it, for other very competitive immigrant groups like the Indians or the Chinese, the Nigerians seem to be doing exceedingly well. Now in terms of cash, so let's look at the cash for a second. We know that Nigerians in diaspora, the world over, this is not just the United States now, the world over uh, sent back to Nigeria about $25 billion officially. And if you look at unofficial figures, you're looking at a figure of about 35 to $40 billion. Now, so that's a significant market. If you look at what it has for the US, I would say probably about half, you know, about 40% uh, to 50 is coming from the US because the US represents the most significant remittance, if you will. The next most significant is the UK. So the US is about double what the amount of Nigerians sending home money from the US they double the, the amount of money that comes from the UK and so on. Um, so, if you look at it from that standpoint, you can agree that this is a huge market. It has a huge purchasing power. Purchasing power of the diaspora community is at least 100 to $150 billion. I mean, if they're sending home about 30 to 40 billion, then I can assume that they do have earning capacity of over 100 to $150 billion. That is the world over. And we can look at the US figures in more detail uh, later. But what I wanna say is that this purchasing power, this fact that they send this much money home, the fact that they're extremely educated, they concentrate 
they value they have a value system which is built on on education there's a lot of desire to remain educated and remain competitive and remain in the workforce it's a marketplace and they they kind of like uh, uh, the glue between the other African populations because if, if we're looking at African diaspora as a marketplace then we would like to build a strategy a penetration strategy that will target the Nigerians and then use the Nigerians to pull in the other African diaspora population. And what I have done is I have listed out a couple of industries that if you were in those industries or if you were trying to build a competitive market penetration strategy for the diaspora population in these industries, you're most likely going to succeed. Uh, one is the entertainment industry. Now, Nigerian music, uh, which is popularly called Afrobeat, and Afrobeat refers to not just Nigerian music, but African music in its totality, has penetrated United States and Europe. It's played in our nightclubs, it's played on the radio, it's played in a the bar. There is a huge demand for this particular music. And what that means is that there is a huge demand for concerts, there's a huge demand for shows, there's a huge demand for anything that ties into the Nigerian musician or the African musician, especially the popular ones. So a market penetration strategy that is built off of the back of entertainment influences or entertainment, actual entertainment shows, concerts, and, and so on, is a strategy that is worth applying. And it's a strategy that can work. Now, Anybody who has a Netflix account would agree that Netflix has, over the last year, almost tripled its capacity to host Nigerian movies. So Nollywood has penetrated Netflix. Now, the Netflix is not doing it because they love Nollywood. It's because there is a demand. So a huge amount of Netflix customers happen to be Africans in diaspora. Africans in diaspora go onto Netflix, they want to watch home movies. They want to watch the movies from home. And so Netflix figured that out and has started purchasing our movies to put them on Netflix and give them, make them available to the diaspora population. So that's market penetration right there. Netflix understands that there is a demand from the African diaspora population that requires them to feel that demand. And they have filled that demand by hosting movies that are targeted at this particular population. And they're spending good money. They're acquiring some of the movies. Remember Lionheart by Genevieve Naji? Her movie was acquired for over $3 million and many others. So if you are designing a strategy and you want to target the African diaspora population in the entertainment space, it's already started. And there are opportunities across the board in the movies section, in music section, concerts, shows, what have you. I mean, there's huge opportunity there. A lot of radio stations are beginning to understand that they do have an African diaspora population in many US markets, and so they're beginning to cater to that particular marketplace. Another area that hasn't really been looked at strategically by a lot of entrepreneurs is the savings, financial services and savings industry. We know that we have about officially 350 to 400,000 Nigerians 
are living in the US, and then another four, five hundred thousand living in the UK. But in all honesty, these numbers are probably doubled or tripled because some of these populations have had children. Those children were born in the United States, so they probably won't register themselves as Nigerians anymore. They would register as American citizens. And so if you were doing a population census and you wanted to capture these folks, you were probably capturing them as US citizens. But they're Nigerians because they have Nigerian names or Ghanaian names or, or Kenyan names. These are Africans. And that means that they also have a peculiar taste and a peculiar value system which is consistent with the African diaspora population because they still very much have strong ties with family and strong ties to the home country. So when you look at those figures, you have to adjust those figures for the second generation who happen to be citizens of the home country, whether UK or US, France, Germany, whichever country we're talking about. But what I think is that in terms of savings culture, we know that these are educated folks. We know that these folks are committed to professionalism and they're climbing the ladder of their careers. I think there's specific products and savings products that can be tailored towards them. So if I were to run a small savings and loan bank, a small, an SME bank, a community bank in the United States or in UK or in France or in Germany or in China, any of these first world countries which have large African diaspora populations, I would look for something, a product or service that I could tailor to these folks. What is more interesting in the financial services area is actually investment. Because these folks tend to, to really, really love making investments. So half the job has been done. They're very educated, as we have said before. They understand investments. They make a lot of investments. They take risk. Some of them own businesses, even though they're working. And then some of them own businesses, and those businesses are their primary career. And a lot of them invest money back home. So they're building houses at home. Some of them are building housing estates at home. They're doing a lot of investment. I know quite a number of them that most of their greatest investments are actually on the African continent, in Ghana or in Nigeria or in Kenya, as the case may be. So what I'm saying is that if we're going to penetrate the African diaspora community, then we might want to think of designing and creating investment products that would suit this community. There are all kinds of ideas around investment products which, which could be suitable. Um, some of them could be plain vanilla bonds, diaspora bonds. Nigeria has tried that. They launched a $300 million diaspora bond. It got oversubscribed. But I think we could do much better than that. Bond is just a plain vanilla product. There are quite a number of more sophisticated products that we could create. There are more sophisticated ideas that we could also take advantage of. And so I would, uh, I would design investment products for this community that cuts across the entire spectrum, from real estate type investments to stocks and bond type investments, uh, ETFs, you know, exchange traded funds, which can give them access or exposure to the entire African markets or to particular markets in Africa, all the way down to owning micro-manufacturing units or shops 
within the African continent or owning a commercial real estate. So that is your job to go develop these products for these, these folks. Another area that would be of great interest to the African diaspora community is the concept of lifelong learning. Lifelong learning, as you know, is a new concept. It is completely redefining retirement as we know it. Remember the olden days, retirement was all about getting you to wind down, to go and rest, to go fishing, to spend your golden years, you know, at the, at the edge of a boat fishing or on a beach, you know, sucking in the sun. And those days are over, folks. Lifelong learning has become a concept that is consistent with the disruption of the 21st century. The 21st century has redefined the future for our golden years. So whereas a lot of folks will be looking forward to retirement, what happens is that you only retire from a particular job or a particular career or a particular industry. The next thing you do is that you have to find a new skill that you could retrain to remain relevant in the system. There are reasons for this. One of the reasons is that a lot of the social security systems that governments put together is no longer going to be available when people in their 50s today get to their 70s and 80s. Secondly, is that a lot of retirement plans, again, will be not so, they're not going to be able to, you're going to be able to afford to live on what the retirement plans are giving you. But thirdly and most importantly is that lifestyles have changed. People have come to realize that when you wind down, when you stop doing stuff, you are pretty much saying you're ready to die. The human body was not designed to slow down or to stop. And so for those who are not ready to cash in their chips, lifelong learning becomes a strategy. You don't have to cash in your chips. If you have been working in government, get retrained, go into the private sector. If you've been working in the private sector, get retrained, go into government. If you've been working in the private sector and government, get retrained and start a business. You need to have a second or third or fourth career. And that's what lifelong learning is all about. A friend of mine that owns a business in the Virginia area tells me that one of her most productive workers in the software development space is a 65 year old guy who was retrained into app and coding and he is her most productive today and this guy is 65 and again this was a lifelong learning strategy he finished a very successful career in government and decided to get new skills and now he's working as a coder in the private sector great story and so lifelong learning is a strategy that a lot of folks will have to adopt. And if you are in the business of supplying the kind of skills that lifelong learning requires, then the diaspora population is your best bet. A lot of the folks in the diaspora population, the African diaspora population, will not be retiring back home in Africa. They're gonna stay in the United States or they're gonna stay in Europe. And that means that they're going to need to have a living income, an income that can sustain them. They're not gonna wanna depend 
on their kids. And in any case, many of these kids that were brought up in the Western world, the chances of them being able to look after their parents as they would have done if they lived in Africa are quite slim. In any case, the living standards of the kids, the kids are gonna have their own troubles trying to keep up with living standards and keep up with training their own kids. So it's important that you maintain some form of income and the best way to maintain an income will be lifelong learning. And so we know that the lifelong learning as a business, or as a strategy, will be very lucrative for African diaspora community. Another area or market that you want to look at is education. I've talked about the diaspora community being very high on education. They, they love to educate themselves. The BSc holders, their master's holders, their PhD holders, their vocational skill, they love skills. And so what I haven't seen is too many educational institutions that are targeting these communities. And I think there's no need of reinventing the wheel. The United States, Europe, UK, there are enough educational institutions out there. What we need to do is to create alliances and strategic partnerships with existing educational institutions in order to target African diaspora communities. The hospitality industry is big as well. I mean, I did talk about hospitality as far as Caribbean nations are concerned, but also for the diaspora community. The last time I just talked about how Houston has a huge African diaspora population and it is the capital of the Nigerian diaspora population, but I couldn't find a fine dining restaurant, fine dining Nigerian restaurant in Houston. Can't find that in DC either. So you still have Nigerian restaurants that are at the, I would say the bottom of the barrel as far as restaurant and catering services are concerned. So we need to up that angle. I, I believe that if you provide a finer dining experience, you will not just be targeting the diaspora community, but you'll be targeting the extended community of Africa, African-Americans, and even the Caucasian community who want to have an African experience. I remember when I was growing up in Boston, there used to be a restaurant that was called Rainforest Restaurant. It had a jungle theme, you know, it had trees and, you know, jungle music, and you would see, you know, the, the model monkeys in the, the artificial trees within the restaurant. It was a beautiful experience just going into that restaurant. You have the jungle theme and you have African cuisines and so on. I don't know whether that restaurant is still around, but I think we need to create theme restaurants for the African experience. And I would assure you that the diaspora communities, especially for New York, uh, DC and Houston, would appreciate those kind of investments. And they need to do that themselves. Transportation is huge. I, I met a guy in Houston not too long ago who has started a Houston to Dallas transportation services. Well, he modeled it similar to the way transportation is done in Nigeria. So he gets a regular Sierra car that sits five people and he has an app that he allows five different people to book a seat on his car and he takes the car from Houston to Dallas and brings people back. Uh, and that's exactly how transportation is modeled in Nigeria, because in the US, the transportation model has always been 
get into a Greyhound bus, right? So if it's not a Greyhound bus or it's not a blue green bus, it's a Chinese bus, but they've all used the same model over the years. It's been the Greyhound bus model, even if it wasn't a Greyhound company that was running it. This guy has changed the game and I believe that concept will spread. If more people could do things like that and you know focus on those markets where you do have considerable Nigerian population or African population, some of them will be appreciative of this kind of transportation experience. Um, in terms of food and catering, I did mention the fact that we do need more Nigerian, uh, more African-themed restaurants. Uh, Morocco has done quite well. There are a lot of Indian restaurants, but you know, we don't, we also have a few Egyptian, but not too many Ghanaian or Nigerian or Kenyan. So I think we need to do something about that. But a great place that is exciting is also the cultural appeal. Some of these communities have started organizing their own cultural days or masquerade days or carnivals as the case may be. And that itself is a business. A business out of it is, first of all, being the one to organize it. I think every major city that has a significant African diaspora population should have a masquerade festival. So we should have a masquerade festival in Dallas. We should have one in Houston. We should have one in New York. We should have one in Jersey. We should have one in DC. And and, and that a whole business can can germinate out of out of that that festival. You know, the folks who bring the masquerades, the costumes, the, you know, the the fact that you will be able to attract the Caucasian populations who have never experienced a masquerade festival before. These are things that we should we should take our culture more seriously. And uh, the culture is a business, if you will. And I think we haven't done enough to tap into that. The other industry that I want to mention is the real estate industry. I'm not talking about real estate in Nigeria or in Africa, as the case may be, but real estate in the U.S. because a lot of these folks are going to stay in the U.S. And so if you're going to be targeting them from a real estate standpoint, what are the values? How do they want to live? For now, they're, they're living in scattered communities and different communities. What if you built a Nigerian or an African community, an African, uh, African subdivision or an African-themed condominium? should be an exciting experience so we can talk about that in the future episodes thank you for listening i mean i'm going to go into more detail next week and more market penetration strategies in terms of episode nine but for now i want you to be successful in business i want to give you the best ideas i want you to succeed across the world wherever you are if you want to hit me up go to at nikki n-i-c-k-y o-k-o-y-e at Nikki Okoye, and that's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I want you to be successful, and I wish you the best. <laughs>